Today's episode of the Fanboy Podcast is brought to you by you. Well, at least it can be if you'll consider becoming a Patreon patron. See, between this and the other great shows on the Revenge of the Fans Podcast Network, as well as the site itself, which is our lifeblood thanks to the daily work of our voluntary workforce of passionate fans, we produce countless hours of content per month and we ask for nothing in return. But it takes a great deal of time and effort to create this all for you, which is why we've relaunched our Patreon page this week with the hope that you'll consider contributing to the cause. Aside from helping to keep the site and its podcasts running, you'll also get access to exclusive benefits, including bonus episodes, commentary tracks, vote and polls to determine what gets discussed, exclusive access to scoops, and behind-the-scenes gossip, a.k.a. bochinche, including stuff too wild to post on the site an appearance on the RTF podcast of your choosing, and exclusive merchandise. Interested? Then visit patreon.com slash revengeofthefans today. Now, let's get to the show. The Fanboy Podcast, episode 84. Hi everybody, Mario Francisco Robles, MFR here with you, and this is the 84th edition of the Fanboy Podcast. How's everybody doing out there? Yeah, folks, it's going to be a nice old school edition of the show. No video today. It's uh, it's just kind of back to basics. After last week's show where things, you know, got a, I took a slight detour. Uh, I kind of wanted to bring things back to their roots, and on top of that, you know, today's just overall a crazy day. I got a lot of stuff going on. I have a trip into the city I have to make. I have a gig in Brooklyn tonight with my band, and uh, I just, I'm spinning a lot of plates. So I decided to go back to the basics, go back to what this show originally was, which is just me, a mic, my thoughts, and my feelings. Speaking of which, uh, last week, you know, um, speaking of that departure, you know, I want to go ahead and thank everyone who reached out to me uh, to talk about, you know, what's going on in life and and, and address some of the uh, stuff I was going through. And I just want to say, you know, anyone who, who reached out for support, uh, you know, I'm here for you and thank you for being there for me. Um, and... You know, I'm feeling better today. One day at a time, one step at a time, taking care of me, doing what I got to do. I'm feeling better. I'm feeling stronger. I'm feeling more uh, in control. And uh, in a lot of ways, I guess it, it felt good to you know, to, to uh, vent a lot of that stuff last week. I think it was just kind of holding me down and sharing it with you guys and hearing what you guys had to say about it was very rewarding. And I want to just once again thank everyone who reached out after episode 83. I know things got a little personal there. And uh, on that note, I got to do a little housekeeping. I got a review. And if it's my first non-five-star review, it's my first sort of bad review. And it may have been in response to last week, or it may be in response to something else. There might be, I don't know, an agenda at play here. But you know what? Even though I, I always said I would read the five-star reviews, I'm going to read this one too. Because it's important, and I want to address what is said here. Um, so... Apple user FattyAcid23 wrote uh, Life and Hypocrisy, and they gave me three stars, which is actually not that bad when you think about it. Three stars is better than one star. Uh, FattyAcid23 said, shame, 
It used to be a great podcast full of scoops, rumors, and insight. If you want a podcast about life and hypocrisy, go no further. There's so much... He's, no, this is in quotations. He's like, he's acting like this is what I said. Uh, there's so much hate on Twitter, but let me help spread it by dogging on politicians I disagree with. Uh, he'll treat you like a psychiatrist or be your psychiatrist. So sit down, get comfortable, and learn all about life from an expert. Rename your podcast. I'm out. Well, fatty acid, I'm sorry you feel that way. Um, you know, it, it is what it is. But I'm actually glad you pointed this out because longtime listeners should actually be very acquainted with the fact that this show is not a traditional news show. If you want me to just strictly talk about news, perspective, analysis, all that sort of stuff, that's what The Revengers is for. The Revengers is where I sit down with Vanessa and Brett, two other correspondents, and we run down the week's headlines. We share our opinions, thoughts, insights, and analysis on what's going on there. This show, my show, The Fanboy, going all the way back to when it was the L Fanboy podcast, if you go back to episode one, which I got to find somewhere and I think maybe put back up, but for those of you who've been around that long, you'll recall this show is always supposed to be kind of a combination. Yes, I talk about entertainment, but it's also, if you look at the description for it everywhere, it's, it's, it's raw, it's confessional, and it's personal. This is my area. This is my personal show to vent what's going on with me, and I usually try to put it through the guise of entertainment. I talk about movies, I talk about news, but I also check in on what I'm going, you know, what, what I'm doing, what I'm working on, my projects, my goals, my dreams, my hopes and aspirations. And if that doesn't work for you, listen, this is not the show for you. So I'm glad you enjoyed it for the time that you did, but you're more than welcome to unsubscribe and move on or go find one of the more news-orientated shows. But that's not what this show is. This show has always just kind of been my place to just sort of be me at the end of a, of a week of life and reporting on these things that we all care so much about. I get very passionate opinions about it. And sometimes I will have an entire show where I don't talk about anything personal at all. And sometimes there'll be a show like last week where, you know what, the personal stuff actually overrides any sort of trivial thing we can discuss about a movie or some people running around in tights and capes. It's just the way it is. So for anyone who's listening to this, for anyone who agrees with uh, what Fatty Acid had to say, or Fatty Acid, if you're still listening to this and maybe you wanted to know if I would respond to your review, listen, you know, there's no hard feelings. If you, know, if you want a more hard news show, that's what The Revengers is for. If you're going to listen to The Fanboy, you're going to listen to me speaking to you from the heart. Sometimes you're going to like what I have to say, sometimes you're not, but you're always going to get just the true, raw, honest me. And if you don't like that it, on occasion, I, I, I'll, I'll delve into politics over on Twitter or whatever. I mean, listen, you don't, it, that's on you. I, I never blame, I never go after the supporters of these politicians. But if I have serious concerns and fears and outrage and anger, about something our leaders are doing, I'm going to try to hold those leaders' feet to the fire. But you'll never see me go after someone who voted for these leaders. I know we're all just doing our best with the information that we have. We all think we've got it figured out. We all think we know the solutions. And listen, I don't judge anyone for thinking that maybe someone might be a good leader who turned out to be a total disaster. I'm never going to judge you 
for the things that you that you do with your time, with the way that you live your life. I don't go after supporters or fans. I will occasionally go after the leaders in question, but that is it. So um, I'm sorry you feel like I, I personally, I was stirring up hate and being hypocritical about the hate on Twitter by just occasionally addressing the fact that I'm not too happy with the state of my country and I have genuine fears about the future. I have genuine fears about the world that my little mixed race kids are growing up into. I have legitimate fears and I'm allowed to voice them. I can voice them on Twitter. I could voice them on Facebook. I could voice them here on the Fanboy Podcast because guess who the fanboy is? Me! All right? So it's my show. I'm sorry you feel that way, fatty acid. But now we're moving on. So today we're going to talk about a couple of things. We're going to talk a little bit about the shared universe. We're going to talk about, well, the first things first, actually. What I really want to get into right off the bat is... Wow, what a tear we've had over on Revenge of the Fans this year so far. I've gotten a lot of exclusives, and I've been very, very happy to share them with you. Yesterday was another big one for us. I got a really cool story, a really cool scoop on the Breaking Bad movie, codenamed Greenbrier. And, you know, I'm very excited to put that out there, along with the other, like, seven or eight scoops I've dropped this, this year. And I kind of want to just point something out, because... Last week, I wrote a column over on RevengeOfTheFans.com about, you know, it was about my hope, my wish for DC in 2019, now that Aquaman has crossed the billion-dollar threshold. I was talking about the fact that, you know, we got to cut down on the leaks. We got to create a column over, you know, not a column. We have to create a culture at DC Entertainment at Warner Brothers where not everyone just feels so at liberty to just blurt out whatever gossip they hear. You know, and, and people who work for the studio should look over their shoulders. You know, you know how like at other studios, they talk about like, oh, I have to be careful or, or, or the studio is going to send a sniper after me. And there's all this, you know, there, there, there's a big concerted effort for secrecy and to maintain the integrity of the work that they're doing. And meanwhile, at Warner Brothers, you get stuff like last week where that guy, I think his name Neil Daly, goes on a podcast and basically paints a picture that is way less than glowing of his employers. And meanwhile, he's still employed. He's working for Shazam. Like, it, it tells me that over at Warner Brothers, over at DC Entertainment, they got to get their acts together in terms of telling people, listen, if you work for us, you have to sign this stuff. You're not allowed to badmouth us or, or spill confidential information because if you are, you'll be fired. Like, there needs to be consequences. And if you look over the, la the course of the last two plus years following what's happening at DC Entertainment in, 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 lieu of, in light of Batman v Superman and all the drama with Zack Snyder and Joss Whedon and all that stuff. One very, very abundantly apparent truth is that loose lips sink ships. There are people who work behind the scenes who just blab on too much and talk too much about the behind the scenes goings on. So that's why you have a million different rumors. You have a million different narratives. It paints this picture of a studio in disarray. It's not a good look for your hardcore fan base to have them look at you like you're a chicken without a head running around. So I wrote a column basically saying that yeah, we need to cut down on the leaks and that I myself need to cut, you know, I, I'm going to try my best to cut down on stories to just add to the noise. But some people took that 
as I'm not going to drop scoops anymore. And uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not the case. Scoops are still obviously going to be happening. But for me personally, I'm just going to be augmenting the types of scoops that I report. Because remember, I'm still fairly new to this. You know, I may have been in this reporting game for the last five plus years, and I may have been in the podcasting realm now for going on three years, but when it comes to scoops, I'm still relatively inexperienced. I only really started dropping exclusive reports like that around the time Justice League came out. That's November of 2017. So I'm like a month in, yeah, I'm like a year and two months. I'm 14 months into trying to be someone who gets you exclusive scoops, who's someone who goes out there and finds news rather than just regurgitate other news from other sites. You know, because that's you know that's what a lot of sites do, and that's it's a great practice, and I I love being able to provide our our own daily news coverage. But really, what I think makes a site special is is is, is the exclusive content. What you know? What information can you get there that you're not gonna get anywhere? And just like, and also with the editorials and the podcasts, you know, these are the things that are gonna set aside Revenge of the Fans from your average fan blog. So scoops are ain't going anywhere, folks. So don't anyone be you know be scared of that. As yesterday proved, I'm still gonna be digging. I'm still gonna be cultivating relationships with sources and trying to get you the information that you want most. But there are certain things that I'm going to avoid from now on. For example, a big one is trailer scoops. I'm not doing trailer scoops. I mean, I haven't done one since last February when the whole thing happened with the Aquaman trailer. And I swear there's a part of me that still gets like a shiver down my spine when I think about that because people were so mad at me. And I went through such deja vu uh, this past week, watching what happened with my buddy over there, Daniel RPK, you know, listen, trailers are a very, very tricky thing to report on. I don't know why that's the case. I don't know what it is. You know, certain things you can you, you can report on like clockwork. But when it comes to trailers, there always seems to be some indecision about, well, we're going to do it this date. Ah, but maybe now we should hold off for this one. Or maybe we should re-edit it and do a shorter one. Maybe this reveals too much. Maybe this one. Like, there's always, there seems to be a lot of thought that goes into trailers. So me personally... I'm just not going to touch them anymore. And I haven't since last February and I'm not gonna, you know, because if you look at the people who are trying to let you know when a trailer is going to arrive, you know, it, it, it very often blows up in their face. It gets people excited for no reason. It make it, 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 it calls into question their credibility. It creates all this drama. And mind you, I don't even find those scoops that rewarding. You know, I, I, I honestly don't think a, a trailer date drop is all that newsworthy. I remember back in the day, just I saw trailers when I went to the movies and there was a trailer there. But yeah, there was a trailer for something I liked before the movie. Or on occasion, you know, they, they would come online and I just find out about it while I'm scrolling through Twitter. Oh, look, the new Spider-Man trailer arrived. Let me check that out. Like, I'm fine with that form of dissemination. 
I don't need to now map out two weeks in advance. Oh, okay. On the second Wednesday in January, this trailer is going to arrive. I better look forward to this. Like, I, I you know, and that's not a judgment, by the way. I, you know, I, it sounds like I'm making fun of the people who do think that way. But for me personally, I just don't consider it that newsworthy. Trailers will arrive whenever they arrive. And we should just be cool with that and excited to get it. We shouldn't be pestering studios and coming off like entitled brats and tagging studios and producers in our tweets demanding, I want this trailer now because somebody said it should be here now. Like, guys, we got to slow down. You know, do, do we want to be, you know, do we want to be a happy, receptive audience? Do we want to be the people that folks who make these movies are excited to give things to, excited to share fun stuff with. Do we want to be that? Or do we want to be an angry mob? Do we want the directors and writers and the people making these films for us feel like, whoa, 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 okay, we better give them exactly what they want and how they want it, or there's going to be a campaign against us? You know, like, how do you want us to appear? How do you want to represent fandom? What, what, do, you want what do you want out of this? I don't know about you, but all I really want out of this is to see really epic shit. I want to see great movies and TV shows. I want to read great comic books. I want to listen to fantastic podcasts. I want to enjoy this stuff. Because as I've been known to say, this is supposed to be the good stuff. You know, life in and of itself has all kinds of ups and downs at work, with relationships, with what you see on the news, with what's going on. Like, you know, in general, life is challenging, or it can be. And entertainment and the things you are a fan of are supposed to bring you joy, not stress. So if you find yourself getting into a lot of heated angry fights with people, if you find that there's a lot of cruelty and cynicism in the way that you approach others or the way they approach you, maybe it's time to take a step back and remind yourself that this is the good stuff. These are the things that help grease the wheels that make a happy life. They keep you going. At the end of a long, crappy day at the office, you come home, you read, you go to revengeofthefans.com, you read about a movie you're looking forward to, and you look, oh, I didn't know that they hired that writer. Oh, I love that movie. I can't wait to see this now. Like, entertainment should be fun. It should be an escape. It shouldn't be something that we're agonizing over. It shouldn't, you know, I, I, like Trey Jackson wrote a great article about that, about how like the things we love have suddenly become us. We've lost our identities to what the, to the things that we love. They define us rather than just being part of who we are. Now suddenly we're so invested in a particular character or a particular film franchise that the vast majority of our free time is spent obsessing and fighting about it. And it's just sad. It's just sad. And I'm going to try to, if I remember on this crazy day, uh, or maybe at some point this weekend, I'll tweet out Trey's column. He wrote it for Revenge of the Fans a few months back, and I thought it was brilliant. And, it, you know, for some reason, I just, I think of it here. But in terms of like the scoops that I will cover, because I don't want to do trailers and I don't like, you know, disturbing that weird hornet's nest that happens when people just get very entitled and very bratty and very accusatory when things don't go exactly according to plan. So I'm not going to do scoops. I mean, I'm not going to do trailers. 
I'm not going to do anything also that's like related to somebody relaying an opinion to me. You know, I've done that in the past and I've found it to be sort of, it's tricky. It's tricky because you can never know if what you're getting is the true truth or this person's truth. You know what I mean? Because sometimes, like, let's say, for example, I speak to someone over at Warner Brothers, you know, one of my few sources that I have there. And I speak to them and they tell me, oh, I heard that they're very low on this guy now. Um, okay. In the past, I might have run a story. Oh, okay. They, I hear the studio is very low on this guy now. But then as time goes on and you start getting more sense of the story and more full perspective on what's going on, you realize it might have just been this guy's boss who doesn't like that person. You know, this person might be just a low-level employee or an intern or an assistant to someone and their particular corner of this massive studio feels this way about this person. But now I've written a report that makes it sound like the entire studio hates this person. So now it, it, it's, it's become part of the noise. It's become part of the misinformation and the narrative. And even though I like to talk about this stuff because I just find it interesting and it's me, it's interesting to hear, you know, it's gossip. It's who doesn't like to stand around the water cooler and talk about it, especially when it has to do with things you love, like your favorite movies and your favorite characters. When you hear little bits of scuttlebutt, you want to talk about it. But I have to be more responsible about this stuff and what I'm choosing to share because, you know, I see it blowing up in the faces of other scoopers out there where they just seem to think every little scrap of any kind of information is newsworthy. Every little scrap of any kind of information is a scoop. And honestly, I think it hurts the industry. It hurts the experience of looking forward to these movies. I don't need to know all 17 people that a studio might have looked at for a role before I see a movie. I don't need to know how many drafts of a script have been submitted before the film gets locked in. Like, I don't, I, I just need to see a good movie. People get so invested in like, oh, well, I know a few people who saw this movie in a test screening. So based on this handful of people and their subjective opinions, I'm going to go and let you know that this movie's going to suck. And it's like, but that's not, that's not news. And you're hurting a movie and it's based on not much. It's based on some people's opinions. How about we do the old fashioned thing? Let the movie come out. Let audiences see it. Let critics see it. Let a much larger consensus speak. If you're going to talk about the overall consensus on a film, you know, it's just, you know, and I, I'm not going to begrudge people who do it. I fully respect the people who do that stuff. I know some wonderful people. I have some amazing colleagues out there who do stuff like this. So this is not like a judgment on them. But I can't, you know, all I can do is be the change that I want to see in the world. And that means that I personally have to take stock of what I do and just choose to act differently and not do the things that I see out there that I dislike. So the people out there, you want to do it. If that's working for you, if that's bringing you satisfaction and it's helping you in a business sense and it's helping you in terms of your branding and whatever, then go for it. You know, it's, listen, live and let live. I'm fine with that. But I personally 
I'm not going to do that kind of stuff anymore. The scoops that I'm going to be reporting is a lot of the kind of stuff I've been doing this year. Stuff that's, you know, cast lists. Stuff that's not like speculative about who might get cast. I'm going to share with you who has been cast. So it means I need to be a little more patient. You know, sometimes I might hear a name and I may want to go, oh, so-and-so, so-and-so is up for something. But... You know what? I don't want to get hopes up and I don't want to keep creating this this picture of a studio or a director or a filmmaker who's so indecisive that they have 10 names on a list and they can't seem to decide who it is. I'd rather just wait, let the filmmaker go through their creative process. And once that name has been added to an official cast list, I thankfully now have a network of people who can let me know when people have been added to official cast lists. So that those are the kind of scoops that I will be sharing. Things that I find much more concrete, things that aren't based on opinions, things that aren't based on trailers, things that where, there, where there's no real personal agenda. It's just the facts, ma'am. That's been one of the great things about these last few scoops. You know, there's no opinions involved. There's no editorializing needed. It's, hey, I got some news. Check it out. You know, and it's and it's been getting confirmed. It's a nice little run I've been on here. You know, when I put out the, the, the scoop about Superman Red Sun, the uh, animated film coming out, you know, within about nine minutes, uh, actor Diedrich Bader, or Bader, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but Diedrich Bader, who's on the cast list, instantly retweeted it and said, I'm so excited to be a part of this. So he confirmed that it's coming. And there's been lots of little things like that where it's like, yes, it, you know, we got to be a little patient. Some of these things may not get announced until Comic-Con and some things will get a proper press release down the line. And I probably won't get credited by the trades when these things eventually come out. But it's still rewarding to just be able to go, here is just information. Not my opinion, not someone else's slant on it, not something that could be up for debate. Here is just flat out information. So those are the kind of scoops I'm going to try to get you more often than not. Casting related stuff and anything I hear about like staffing too. If a writer is hired or a director is hired or if I hear that like, I just, yeah, I, I don't want to keep beating a dead horse, but it's just, it's got to be more concrete. We got to be better because for me, scoop culture is scaring me a little bit because I feel like we're, we're getting on the other side of it. You know, towards the, in the early days of the internet, scoop culture was awesome. It was like underground. There were a few select people who had their sources and they would go and they would you know, break these scoops. And it was exciting because it was rare. Now it feels like every other site claims to have a scooper and a lot of times you're dealing with scoopers, quote unquote, who are getting their information, not from a source, but from another journalist, another colleague, another blogger. And they're trusting that that person has good sources and it's dangerous territory. And I've, I've gone down it myself. You know, there have been things in the past that I've reported that after I published, I realized like, you know, more, more of that is based on what another writer told me than what a source told me, you know, and I, I then feel a little dirty afterward. And I just don't want to feel that way anymore. And I just want to be way more conservative and way, way more just strict about what I consider newsworthy and what I consider just, all right, let people talk about that over on Twitter or elsewhere. I'm not going to now add to the noise by adding things that aren't newsworthy, but are noiseworthy 
Oh, I think I just coined a phrase. That's good. Noiseworthy. Okay, anyway, uh, I digress. So, anyway, thanks to everyone who's been checking out the scoops over at revengeofthefans.com. I got plenty more on the way. In fact, the, the biggest challenge for me right now is learning how to space them out. Right now, I'm sitting on like four or five other really cool bits of information about different projects out there. So right now it's about making sure that like I'm not dropping them so rapid fire that certain exclusives are getting lost in the shuffle. So, you know, I, I've got like four or five and I would love to be like, I'll just drop one every day next week. But uh, I'm probably going to have to do them maybe like one or two per week so that I'm not cannibalizing myself. Because remember, I'm trying to run this site as a business. That's why you heard the plug for the Patreon. You know, I'm trying to make this site make some money and turn this into, you know, treat this like an actual business enterprise and not just a place where it's just all fun and games all the time. If it's all just fun and games, then yeah, I, I could blurt out everything right now in one false swoop. But as the editor-in-chief, I have a responsibility. As a person who has all these people working under him who love this stuff, but also, you know, obviously, you know, I, no one's complained to me yet, but people are going to want to start making some money for this stuff. So... It, it, it behooves me to be more strategic about the information I drop. But it's just cool to be able to say that right now, at any given time, I'm sitting on a handful of exclusive scoops. And now it's just a matter of when I can drop them. And I can also very confidently hang on to them because, because of my access, because of my sources, these are things that are not going to get out in any, you know, in any quick, you know, uh, at any quick rate. So I don't have to worry about, oh, someone else might beat me to this. The stuff that I have access to nowadays is sort of so high level that a lot of these other scoopers have no way of even getting there. So I can take my time and uh, it's exciting. It's exciting. It's exciting to have reached this place now where I can just do this, where I could pick up the phone and I can get information and I could bring it to you guys and I could pass it through my own filter. Is this newsworthy or is this noiseworthy? And give you the best quality scoopage that I can find. So that's really cool. But, uh, okay. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the, uh, you know, the things have been a little confusing with the whole shared universe over at DC Universe. You know, to recap, you know, last week there was Toby Emmerich's quote talking about how they're less focused on a shared universe, that their playbook is different than Marvel's playbook and so on and so forth. Some people took that as the shared universe is now dead and over and DC has given up and they're running away from it, right? That's been one takeaway. But then this week you got quotes from Zachary Levi, Levy? Levi? I have no idea, uh, who plays Shazam. Uh, in, in, with the set visit reports that have come out, you know, he, he has a quote where Henry is still Superman and people now take that to the bank. And then there's also the quotes from David F. Sandberg, where, wherein he acknowledges that Shazam exists in a world with other DC heroes. So it's, it's, it, it gets confusing. You got Toby Emmerich saying that we're less focused on the shared universe. You got Levy talking about Cavill as Superman. Meanwhile, we kind of feel like that ship has sailed. And, you know, I think I, I do think it has. But, you know, I'm not, you know, don't quote me on that. Um, and then you got all this stuff, you know, with, with, with Sandberg and, like I said, with Levy. So it gets confusing. And on today's episode, 
right now, as a matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and kind of walk you through this and explain to you what, how this all fits together and what this means for DC's future with regard to its shared universe. I want to give you one solid place you can refer to. You can listen to this episode if ever you are confused about what DC is doing because it often seems like the headlines contradict one another. Okay, so let's focus first on what Levy, Levi, said about Cavill. Uh, I, I don't want to be the, the bearer of like bad news or to be a Debbie Downer or to rain on your parade, but set visits are not done now. Set visits, you know, in other words, when a film is in post-production and it's about to come out in a couple of months. Set visits are done during principal photography. So these comments from Levy were made last spring. In fact, I think someone, uh, I forget who it was now, but one of my colleagues who actually participated in the set visit said it happened in April. Now, let's remember, let's rewind. In April of 2018... Cavill was still very likely to return. That was still around the time where Collider was reporting that there was that that they wanted to make Superman the connective tissue that holds the whole DCU together. At the same time, my sources were telling me that they had taken meetings with like seven different directors who were looking to make a Superman movie. There was all this talk about, you know, the and that's when the negotiations were taking place, that the Hollywood Reporter would eventually confirm that there were negotiations taking place for a Henry Cavill cameo in Shazam as Superman. All of that stuff was happening at around this time. So when Levy or Levi says that, you got to remember, he was saying it at a time when Cavill was still very much in play. This quote that just got released... Yes, it's very great. It's very tantalizing. It's coming out now, but it was actually said like nine months ago. Okay, so we have to keep that in mind. All right, because remember, a lot of stuff changed after April. After April is when he accepted the Witcher gig. It's when the negotiations between him and um, you know, his management team and the studio really sort of hit the skids because he wanted much more overall power and influence on Superman's future than the studio had any desire to give him. And you know, so a lot has happened since, I'm just going to say Zach said that, Zachary, because I don't know how to say his last name. So a lot's happened since Zachary said that last spring. All right. So I'm sorry if that gets confusing. I'm sorry if that got your hopes up, but you've got to know that he said that at a time when Henry was still Superman. Okay. Um, in terms of David F. Sandberg confirming though, that there are other DC heroes in play and that this is, in fact, set within a shared world, you know, that is much more the case. That is much more the truth of what's going on here. What he is saying is essentially the same thing Toby Emmerich said, which is the same thing that Jeff Johns and Diane Nelson said last September. I see, I think it was September of 2017. So now it's been a year and a half since they first said this which is the shared universe is still there, but it's not a focus anymore. We're moving all these characters into their own little islands, into their own little spaces. We're not going to try to combine them anymore, at least for the time being, because the focus right now is on creating great solo films, and any of that shared universe stuff will have to wait. 
So in essence, they're not scrapping the shared universe. They simply had to pump the brakes on it. Now they're playing more of a long game. Now it's more about let's make a few years of solos and then build up to that next big crossover event, whether it be you know Justice League 2 or Flashpoint or a World's Finest movie or whatever. You know, whatever they decide will be the next time these heroes join forces, that's going to be years down the line after all the solo films have done what they properly properly need to do, which is reestablish these characters, establish new characters, and push DC forward into a whole new area, into a whole new world. A whole new world. Um... And you know, if you think about it, it makes perfect sense when you think about last week's you know reports that came from that Neil Daly interview, where apparently Batman and Superman were at the bottom end of the totem pole in terms of audience polling at the test screens, where you know just people just didn't you know, people were way more excited about like Flash and Aquaman and Wonder Woman than they were about the two titans of their of the, the the two pillars of their universe, Batman and Superman, had sort of uh, you know they 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 had diminished in value, and people were no longer as excited about these characters because of these particular incarnations of them. So that's one of the reasons why Warner Brothers is now playing a long game. They want to give the you know they want to have time to rehabilitate the image of characters like Batman and Superman. They want to try to make, you know, have distance, make the heart grow fonder. They're hoping if, you know, four, if three or four years have gone by since you saw Justice League, maybe by now you really miss Batman. And listen, I know a lot of us already miss him. <laughs> I want a Batman movie like now. But for general audiences, you know, they, they want general audiences to build up that appetite again. Same thing with Superman. That's why something that I mentioned on the Revengers, which I also mentioned on a brief appearance I made this week on a podcast called The Comic Cast uh, with Michael and John. I mean, great, great show. You should definitely look that up, The Comic Cast on iTunes. Uh, we had a great conversation. But while on there, I was talking about the fact that one of the strategies that they strategy did I say that right strategy strategy see I slept four hours or five hours you got you got to cut me some slack but one of the strategies that the studio wants to employ to rehabilitate their image you know, to re- re- rehabilitate Batman and Superman and get people excited about them again is they want them to be alluded to in these movies they want them to be spoken of in in grand terms they they want people like you know, for example in Shazam you're going to see Billy Batson fanboying hard time, you know, big time for, for, for Superman, for Batman, talking about the impact Superman's had on him, or at least they're going to indicate how important Superman is to a little boy like Billy Batson. And that sort of thing is going to be prevalent in other DC films coming up, where you're going to hear references to Batman and to Superman with the hopes of like subtly massaging your brain massaging the brain of the general audiences into falling back in love with these characters. Because after last year, after Justice League, they really felt like, wow, audiences really just don't care anymore. You know? So that's an interesting tactic. It's an interesting strategy. Um, But, you know, it, it really does behoove them to pump the brakes on the shared universe and to take their time because... 
if you look, you know, it's important to look at the history to understand how we ended up in the present and where we're going in the future. So let's kind of recap the DCEU, the DCU, the worlds of DC, the DC Films Universe, whatever you want to call it. Let's kind of recap how interlocked and interconnected everything initially was. Because Man of Steel fed directly into Batman v Superman. You know, they're connected just inexorably. The beginning of BVS is the end of Man of Steel. The entire, it's the entire jet propulsion that gets us into the BVS storyline. So Man of Steel feeds into Batman v Superman. Batman v Superman introduced Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Aquaman, Cyborg, Lex Luthor, Doomsday, and took us directly into the Death of Superman arc. Then the death of Superman arc fed directly into the next movie, Suicide Squad. Because part of the premise of that and part of the beginning of that film was to establish that Superman was no longer around to save the day, so they needed all hands on deck, even villainous ones. And it featured appearances by both uh, Batman and The Flash. So right there, Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Suicide Squad, all, bam, attached at the hip, which meant that the success or failure of any one of those was going to impact all three. Okay, that's pretty risky stuff, but we'll get back to that in a second. You know, because doing this sort of thing, these interlocked production cycles, all this sort of stuff, it, it, it makes sense if everything is going great. If all the films are being well received and people are just saying, we want more, 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 then it all works out because then you get to go, oh, okay, you want more? Here's another one four months later. But as we know, that wasn't the case. 2016 was not an easy year for, for DC. You know, Batman v Superman didn't exactly do what they thought it would do. And on top of that, it was very polarizing with, amongst the fan base. The cinema score was very mediocre. The reviews were very low. So that was not what they wanted it to be. Suicide Squad, while a, while a financial success was also another one where the critics hated it and fans were very so-so on it. So coming out of that, they, they had to reassess and they had to try to move things apart, you know, because they needed to be able to slow down in order to let the audience tell them what they like and what they don't like. Because if you think about it, if you're a company, if you're a manufacturer, if you're making these big expensive products, you want to make sure your customers are satisfied with what you're producing. And the way things had been laid out with the productions for Batman v Superman, Suicide Squad, Wonder Woman, Justice League 1 and 2, The Flash and Aquaman all overlapping to some degree, that meant that they had like no time to adjust to hear what their customers actually think of what they're cranking out. And it's unfortunate because it came from greed and it came from it came from this misguided sort of outlook of like, well, you know, people just love superheroes. They love the DC brand. People will eat these things up no matter what. And we can just laugh all the way to the bank. It doesn't matter if everything is impossibly stacked. But let's talk a little bit about impossibly stacked, okay? Because people forget how overlapped everything was. Batman v Superman was in post-production while Suicide Squad was in principal photography. And Wonder Woman was also in, in, in one of its stages of development. And it was fairly far along, too. By the time, you know, B BVS came out, Wonder Woman was already, like, it was a set commodity. It was already on its way. And then Justice League comes out, and three weeks later, 
Zack Snyder is supposed to begin work on Justice League 1 and 2. And during the production of Justice League 1 and 2, they were also going to have to go relieve Ezra Miller and Jason Momoa to go make The Flash and Aquaman. Because November of 2017 was going to be Justice League, and then February of 2018 was supposed to be Flash. So Flash was supposed to come out four months later, and then five months after that in July would have been Aquaman. So look at that. Everything from BVS through Aquaman all produced virtually simultaneously with the post of one overlapping with the pre or the principal on another. It's just chaos. It was, it was, it was a bad plan. It was a bad way to approach this. And I don't think there's any, you know, I used to get people yelling at me when I would say that. Ask me, who are you to say that? How can you say it's a bad plan? Well, look what happened. Look what happened with Justice League. Had it been a good plan, we wouldn't have ended up in that situation. It's, it, it's, it's simple. It's clear to see. I'm sorry if it's offensive to any of you. But the way they lined up these films, they basically set them up to fail while ironically thinking that they were setting themselves up to have this huge you know, winning streak. And it's just, it, it, it's the height of poor planning. So when you think about all that and you think about like the different things that had to hinge on, on, on luck, you know, what happened with Aquaman in a way is almost lucky because what if, what if Justice League had really sunk Aquaman in the eyes of audiences? What if they hadn't? taken to Jason Momoa's portrayal. Because you can't really count his introduction in BVS because it's so quick. It's just you see him swimming and he goes towards the camera. What if in Justice League, people just thought, oh God, I never want to see that guy again. He's obnoxious. He's this, he's that, he's whatever. Because you never know how audiences are going to respond. So what if that had happened? But meanwhile, Aquaman was already mostly filmed by that point. It's insane. So it, it luck, you know, they, they got lucky. They got lucky with Aquaman that people, you know, despite kind of giving Justice League a cold shoulder, despite the negative to bad reviews that it got, despite the fact that it didn't make a ton at the box office, people did actually decide that Aquaman was worth a shot and they went and they saw it and they loved it. And now it's made over a billion dollars. But remember, they couldn't have known that. For all they knew, audiences could have hated the Aquaman in that movie and the Flash in that movie just as much as they were mixed on the Batman that we got in BVS and the way Superman was handled in BVS. So they took a great gamble, and thankfully, in the case of Aquaman, it worked out. So, yay. But that's, again, that's that's something that now we can celebrate with hindsight being 2020. They didn't know that that was going to happen. So, you know, that's why like when we look, by the way, at what happened with Justice League and people ask, you know, why would they cut the dark side stuff? Why did they cut down so much of Cyborg's subplot? Why did Steppenwolf's original plot get so watered down? You know, the answer is simple. It made no sense from a business standpoint to continue to do all of this world building at such a breakneck pace and at such insurmountable costs without being able to see how the audience feels about the world they're building. You get me? That is why one of the directives from DC 
was to chop off any and all world building and just make Justice League a single complete story with only a vague reference to the future by mentioning, you know, the Hall of Justice at the end and by dropping only small hints about where things were going for the Flash and Aquaman. You know, they really did. They just decided, let's just simplify this thing because we can't repeat this mistake of having everything on top of each other. We need to give the audiences chances to respond. You know, we need to allow these things to be able to, as Vanessa put it on the Revengers podcast that we did earlier this week, which I thought was a great bit of insight. We need to allow these films to be able to succeed or fail in a vacuum. So that if one of these movies sinks, it doesn't sink all of them. Because remember, that that was part of their concerns with what happened with Batman v Superman. The fact that it was reviewed so poorly, the fact that the cinema score was so, like, just people barely liked it. You know, it made them feel like, whoa, this is going to doom our entire thing. This was supposed to be the launch pad, and it got a B cinema score. People liked it just as much as they liked Green Lantern and Catwoman. That's not what we were hoping for. So moving these things apart a little more allows them to succeed or fail on their own without bringing down an entire franchise. You know, and, and, and even when you think about, you know, what you know, like they wanted to scrap the world building on on Justice League, and then you you may ask, but what about the Legion of Doom thing? You know, even that, which now got scrapped, also, but even that was going to be more of a slow burn. You know, what what Jeff Johns originally wanted to do there was to have the Legion of Doom slowly built up over a matter of years. And it'd be just a build to the next crossover event, you know. So, in theory, the original plan was to have Black Manta be recruited by them at the end of Aquaman. Then, at the end of maybe the Flash, whoever the villain is there gets recruited, and that you know, and that that wouldn't come out until twenty, you know, nineteen or twenty twenty. Then, in the next, you know, Wonder Woman, then you know, maybe Cheetah or whatever gets recruited. Or something, you know, something along those lines. They were going to do a thing where now it was going to take several years for us to get to that next crossover thing. So, you know, the, the, all in all, everything that happened with Justice League was in an effort to pump the brakes and to cut on the world building. And it, it no longer made sense to have all of this cyborg sub subplot to have all of this dark side subplot to do all this stuff if you really you know you're not going to get there anytime soon they needed to slow down and reassess so look you know now thankfully they've got flexibility and that's a good thing you know with aquaman making a billion bucks and with the audiences communicating to them that they've got short memories and they're very forgiving and that they were, you know, that they're willing to overlook the cold shoulder they gave Justice League. That's, you know, that's great information. That gives them some breathing room and that gives them a chance to now patiently build towards the next crossover event. And now just think how much more epic it's going to be. You know, it's going to be much more epic because we're going to be far more invested in these characters. It's it's going to be more of a slow burn. And you know what? After the insane rush of those first few films, I'm okay now with being a little patient. 
And, you know, I'm okay with the studio trying to avoid putting so many eggs in so few baskets. You know, I get it. It, it makes perfect sense. And for those of you who are, you know, sad about that, for those of you who really want the shared thing to be happening on a much more regular basis, you know, you can still take heart in the fact that Aquaman's success helps. It absolutely helps. Because now the studio knows that, you know, that they might have overreacted. They know that they might have done too much of a course correction because you guys and general audiences in particular are much more forgiving than they thought. So now they can look back at those old films and they don't, you know, now they can feel like it doesn't have to be completely abandoned. Like I wrote about in early December when we were, when we were discussing what was at stake with Aquaman, which really wasn't as much as some would have you think. Some people were trying to freak you out and saying that if Aquaman bombs, there's going to be a whole reboot and this and that. Like, no, that was never what's at stake. But what was actually being looked at was... It was going to help them determine if they should completely turn their back on as much as possible from the first few years of the DCEU, or if they now have the more flexibility to pick and choose what they want to expand upon and what they want to do away with. And now it made a billion bucks. So, so now we're in that place. Now we're in the place where DC is no longer stressed out. The environment behind the scenes is far less tense. There's a lot more confidence. They have a lot more breathing room. And now the creators can just create without the pressure and the concern of what if the DC film that comes out before mine sucks and people hate it? That's going to hurt my movie now. Or what if the producers need me now to add all of this other world building crap to my movie, which I didn't really want to have to do? Like, this is how you create the filmmaker driven studio that you all want so badly. We don't we, we don't want to see situations like Justice League again, where or even Suicide Squad again, where directors are getting kicked off their own productions and having their films re-edited and they're being given directives and studio mandates. We don't want that anymore. Right. So that's the good news here. So, yes, it's sad that we're not going to get a Justice League 2 this year or next year. But long haul, things are it's 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 probably hasn't been a better time to be a DC fan in a long time than it is right at this second. So I hope you enjoyed that little breakdown on the shared universe and the outlooks on it and the history lesson on how we ended up here. And maybe this helps you understand a little bit more about what happened with Justice League. Because it wasn't just someone sitting there going, oh, that dark side stuff looks really cool. Let's just cut it for the hell of it. No, a lot of the cuts happened because they had to slow down the world building in order to find out if audiences liked the world they were building. All right. And thankfully now Aquaman has shown them that they are liking the world that 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 is there and that they're willing to follow you onto the next chapter as long as it's an entertaining movie, as long as they like what you're what you're turning out there. So everything's good. Stop stressing. Be happy. And um, that's about it for me this week. If uh, if you were annoyed at all by the negative review that I read earlier today and you'd like to rectify what that person said, uh, feel free to go over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star review. And uh, if, if the reason you're unsatisfied with this show is that it gets too personal sometimes, go check out the Revengers podcast because that's where I it's pretty much 
just we're talking news we're having a good time it doesn't really get into the heavy stuff that's what differentiates that show from this show so everyone who does get me and does understand what the fanboy podcast is all about thank you for your support thank you for understanding and thank you for not judging me when i occasionally become an overpassionate oversensitive monkey for an episode or two it happens um, you know, sometimes you just got to grab something, throw it at a wall. And I, you know, sometimes I do that with a mic in front of me and it is what it is, but thank you. And everyone, you know, continue to check out revenge of the fans.com. I got a bunch more exclusives on the way. And until next week, life is chaos. Be kind. Adios. <laughs>